Oh, and welcome to uh, Combo Chain. It's a JRPG Games Club podcast. And in this episode, we're doing the GameCube, a JRPG, Botan Kaitos, Eternal Wings, and the Lost Ocean. I'm Paul M. Davis, and I'm joined by... Hey, it's Robert. Hey. That's me. That is the big me that I am. <laughs> welcome back, Robert. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, so this is a pretty fascinating game. What's what's your what's your backstory with the game? What's your history with it? Well, when this came out, I only had a GameCube among the current consoles, and well, there sure weren't many JRPGs for that. It probably doesn't actually share any staff with the Tales games, but I think they're both Namco or something. So I was like way into anything by those guys after playing tales of symphonia and plus again there weren't very many rpgs so (laughs) i really liked this one actually i think i rented this first and i played it so much that like the battle theme was playing in my head and i couldn't stop it or sleep for a little while (laughs) don't do that that's not what i recommend but the game is very good it is it is i'm really kind of blown away yeah, it was funny. I was thinking about that when I was doing some research for the episode. Like Nintendo's kind of turned it around with Switch. Like there's a ton of JRPGs. But if you look back, it's like N64, GameCube, and the Wii were just like totally dead for JRPGs. Yeah, pretty much. I, didn't, I didn't really think of it as true for the Wii. but it, it, And it's like less true than it was for the GameCube. But there definitely weren't very many. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a few, few. And also, also Wii U. So they had like four consoles. Yeah, well, well, the Wii U also had a problem with everything else. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so what what did you what did you think of it at the time? I really liked it at the time. I maybe wasn't like so into the story, and also there is some sort of bug in this game where all the voice acting sounds like it is being recorded in a fishbowl. <laughs> but the game itself, you know, well, I played it so much, like I said, because I just could not get enough of that battle system. The battle system, also the soundtrack, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The battle system is very cool. We'll we'll get into that. But yeah, for me, I completely missed it in the GameCube era. That was kind of when I was like kind of in a lull of game, of playing games. And so, yeah, I only really picked it up uh, a few months ago. You know, it, it fell it fell off the back of a truck, and the ISO, and I uh, put it put it into uh, Dolphin. And yeah, it was mostly because you know I'm. I'm a big monolith soft uh, stan, as the kids say nowadays. I came across it just reading about different, you know, monolith soft JRPGs and their history. And I was like, holy shit, there's this like, this is a series that I'm completely unaware of that they were involved in. So yeah, I picked it, I played, started playing it on the GameCube, I don't know, maybe about six months ago. And I was, I was really blown away, you know, definitely coming to it in, uh, you know, 2020, you, you notice uh, some of the dated elements, but I was just so in love with the battle system and the batshit crazy story. So yeah, yeah. But it's funny. I, I, I had kind of like a gaming blackout during like the ps1 and like gamecube era didn't really get back into gaming until like the wii era so it's kind of cool because i'm slowly kind of like going back and discovering all these amazing jrpgs that i missed during that time yeah i mean it's like how i've been with a lot of uh super nes rpgs because i didn't really play any of them until mario rpg came out and i wasn't really old enough to appreciate them until much later or maybe i was just stupid for a lot longer either one of those (laughs) no i I, i'm the same way i mean i was i was a i was a genesis kid so i completely missed out on most of the snes jrpgs and have had to go back and uh, rectify that. Yeah, and it's funny. Outside of Fantasy Star, there's not really there weren't really that many great JRPGs for the Genesis. So uh, yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, Fantasy Star is fantastic, at least. Oh you had, yeah, you had one good thing going. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, well, this is the unofficial Reiko Kadama and uh, Monolith Soft and Triace uh, Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> yes, I am, I am okay with this. <laughs> So let's get into the development of the game. So yeah, the game's initial concept was created in 2001 and uh, development began six months later and it ended up being released for the GameCube in Japan in 2003 and 2004 in uh, North America. Strangely, in other like Western regions, it didn't come out until 2005. It's pretty, pretty late in the GameCube's life cycle, really. And uh, yeah, so they chose the GameCube because they noticed basically the general lack of JRPGs in the game library. And uh, the team wanted to offer a quote-unquote true RPG for GameCube users and eventually established it as a franchise for the system. And I, I, I didn't see anything that like really confirmed this, but it seemed like there was a little uh, bit of... Uh, at least friendly competition with the Tales of Symphonia <laughs> when Monolith described it as a uh, true RPG. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is pretty interesting. It was named uh, Baton Kaitos after the star in the Cetus constellation. And uh, they chose the name because they wanted to be symbolic of the large world that they wanted to depict with the game. And they also considered it a uh, contrast to the space opera of the Monolith Sauce other JRPG, Xenosaga, which <laughs> is funny to me because it's like, how are we going to, you know, differentiate ourselves from the space opera? Oh, we'll name a game after after a constellation. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, like it clearly is very different. I don't know that, that that seems like an excuse they came up with after the fact. Yeah, totally. But, uh, there's a lot of constellation like imagery and names in the uh, game too. There are, there are. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So yeah, the game was co-developed by Tri Crescendo. And this is pretty interesting because Tri-Crescendo was previously kind of like an offshoot of Tri-Ace that only really like dealt with like music and sound in video games. And later on, they go on to develop other games, you know, as their own studio, like Eternal Snot, which we did a few episodes ago. Oh, I need to go back and listen to that. I like that game a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. You should definitely listen to that. Just I need, I need to hear people discuss the death scene. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a lot of mileage out of that. <laughs> As did the developers of Eternal Sonata. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, love, I love Eternal Sonata, too. But even though it's got plenty of problems and it's... Also batshit crazy. And so, you know, kind of, you know, going along with that, the game soundtrack was uh, composed and arranged by Matoi Sakuraba. And yeah, I believe he was uh, one of the uh, key people in Tri-Crescendo. Yeah, not, not that you even need to be told that if you hear the soundtrack, because like, hey, oh, oh, a synth organ. I know who composed this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they they were also uh, responsible for the game's battle system and sound design. So it seems like this game is kind of where Tricashendo kind of got their, you know, opportunity to like learn and develop like their skills, like in the non-sound design and music aspects of game development. The game's story was written by uh, Masato Kato, and uh, he was one of the many people who, you know, did a mass exodus from Squaresoft after Xenogears was kind of treated a little bit like crap by Square. And he was one of the people who left for Monolith Soft. And he was basically selected because uh, he had experience working on uh, projects like uh, Chrono Cross and, of course, Xenogears. And uh, for his ability to quote, and I couldn't find a source for this quote, but 
you know, I imagine it's some, someone at Monolith Soft, quote unquote, write passionate dialogue that doesn't sound weird or embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a skill. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I would not describe the dialogue as weird or embarrassing, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Maybe, you know, maybe a little dated, but it, you know, it's, not, it's really not bad. So yeah, many, many aspects of the games were established early in development, you know, such as the game setting of floating islands and having an action-based uh, battle system. And man, Monolithsoft sure loves their floating islands, which I am totally down with. Yeah, I also love floating islands, so I support them in this endeavor. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there needs to be more floating islands and <laughs> entire societies on the back of uh, giant monsters and stuff like that. Yeah, I was about to make like a goof, like drain the ocean to make floating islands in real life. And then I remember that's not how islands work. <laughs> it's literally not what they are. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe uh, one of these uh, nut job millionaires can find a way to <laughs> elevate the islands into the sky. Yes, do something good for once. Yeah, yeah. I would like Elon Musk a th- thousand times more if he focused on that instead of being an alt-right asshole. <laughs> they also wanted to experiment with other art styles as well, and that includes an entirely 2D segment with 8-bit graphics that was actually based on the NES game Tower of Juraga. Which yeah, is- I, w- I was looking at this, and apparently if you pre-ordered this in Japan, you got like an NES port of Tower of Juraga as a pre-order gift, which is pretty cool. Oh, really? That's cool. That's yeah, really I mean, cool. I guess the disadvantage is then you have to play Tower of Juraga, but yeah, it's yeah. still pretty cool. It's a really cool concept. And apparently they had to like fight with Namco to do to be able to do that. Even though huh. Namco owned Tower of Duraga, they were just kind of like opposed to the idea. It's um, pretty interesting because I mean there's a lot of just Namco uh, love in this game. Mm. There's a attack where you summon Heihachi to just punch the enemy a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And so, you know, as far as when it comes to like character design, Kalas, the protagonist of the game, was the most difficult design, which I can totally see because he's got kind of a crazy, crazy design. They had to like balance his wings, his cape and uh, his pretty garish clothing, but they really felt that they were necessary for his personality. And yeah, he, he is probably my favorite design. He's got some real, like he's got one regular wing, one mechanical wings, cape, so it's pretty much how I want to design characters all the time. Totally. Just, totally. Yeah. Don't matter. Make sure his eyes are two different colors too. Just whatever. Do everything. Yeah. I, 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 I will, I will take this over uh, a Nomura design any day. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Were you were playing some kingdom hearts? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I am. That. I'm slowly making my way through it because we're going to do a podcast on it sometime in the future. And not to give it away, but I, I am having I am having a hard time with this. <laughs> yeah, I am I'm definitely gonna look forward to hearing that. Yeah, yeah. It should be it should be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I really it's so beloved that I don't wanna do an episode where I'm just like, you know, shitting on something that is so beloved because i don't know that's not the like that's not really what i want to be doing with this podcast yeah but i think at, that's fair but also like as a big fan of those games i'm like oh yeah no I, this is what i want yeah <laughs> like, i played th- through all of them recently and i'm like i'll, I'll shit on them all day yeah yeah <laughs> luckily the co-host i've got lined up for it is just like a you know kingdom hearts obsessive so <laughs> maybe we can balance balance each other out and there yeah you know something else kind of interesting about the uh, character designs is uh, they initially went for kind of like larger anime uh like larger eyed anime styled character designs but they decided to go with more realistic eyes and body proportions so it would better meld with the uh, 3d character designs that they had and also do uh, better appeal to Western markets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, do you want to uh, talk about the uh, mechanics? Sure, sure. So, in Baton Kaitos, the player does not directly play as Collis, uh, the game's protagonist, but you're technically hit. You're technically his guardian spirit. So you, when you name yourself, you're naming the guardian spirit. You can only interact with him by like talking to him through dialogue options. And, you know, the characters will just directly sort of break the fourth wall and talk to you, the player. Yeah, um, super, super meta. It's very cool. Yeah, in a way that is definitely maybe is like less... Uh, unique feeling now but at the time was pretty cool and the answers you give generally if you agree with Collis on things it will give you an advantage in the battle system it will make special attacks where you give him your power show up more often it's a bit like they say you have to give him good advice but a lot of the time you're very explicitly just agreeing with his terrible ideas right right and so everything in the battle system and really in the whole world rely on these magical cards called Magnus that can absorb the essence of a real world object to store them and use them later. So it's your inventory. It's your container for items is, yeah, there's, there's almost like, Hey, you're, you're always carrying so much stuff in an RPG. So what if instead you had your giant, you know, collection of magic, the gathering binders, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think about it. It's also a lot like the one part of Hunter Hunter. Now that I have watched that and must bring it into everything. I'm not familiar with uh, Hunter and Hunter. Yeah, well, there's a part where they have cards that do that, basically. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's, a lot, there's over a thousand different Magnus in the game. All sorts of items, most of which are items you can use in battle. Some of which are ones you use out of battle, you know, interacting with non-player characters, solving quests and things like that, puzzles. Then, you know, so you'll have, you know, food or medicine for healing weapons and armor for attacking and defending and also special moves that will usually be specific to a character and they're like the finishing moves. Mm -hmm. And another really cool system is Magnus will change automatically according to real time, your actual clock in the game, real world hours. So, for example, food will spoil over time. You might have milk that turns into cheese and becomes an even better healing item. And some really oddball, fun ones, too. Like, uh, there's a card that represents debt. And if you leave it, it just becomes like snowballing debt. And you can sell it to a shop, but it costs money to sell it. There's no reason to do so. It's just a very good joke. Totally, totally. I feel like that is such a cool aspect. It's it's pretty interesting. Like you you constantly have to be kind of. It's not a problem, but you will need to be getting more healing items throughout the game since your old ones will be rotting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, functionally, it's uh, kind of kind of annoying, but conceptually, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, like when I describe it that way, I realize it sounds really much worse than it actually is because. If you play the game normally, it's not actually going to be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. There's a few other, like, just weirder ones, too. There's, like, a tarot card that switches between the different arcana over time, and they all have different effects, uh, which is also a very... There's a very good thing. Uh, I think the tower gets rid of all status resistances, and then one of the special attacks for one of the characters has a like 100% base chance of instant death. So you can use that to use an instant death spell on the final boss. Right. Right. I love that shit. You also actually speaking of eternal Sonata, another big part of the game is the camera Magnus, which take pictures of your party members or enemies. And depending on the quality of the picture and the rarity, it'll be worth different amounts of money. And that's your main don't think you get money from battles. This is your main method of getting money. Right. Yeah. So speaking of the actual battle system and how it works though, it's a sort of, a, it's a deck building game. Really? Everyone has, every party member has to have their own deck mm-hmm. and then you get a random hand. You, on your turn, you play like an offensive hand out. And then when an enemy attacks, you get to play a defensive hand with any armor cards or shield cards or whatever you happen to have. 
So there's a lot of different systems at play. Now, there's six elements in the game that form pairs. And if you play like a fire attack and a water attack in the same hand, they'll cancel each other out. So that plays a part in your deck building. The Magnus have spirit numbers on them from one to nine. And if you play a hand that's like all the same number or counts up one, two, three, four, you might get bonus damage. And as the game goes on, you can play bigger hands and you'll get cards with like multiple numbers on them. So you can pick. There's also some Magnus you can combine during battle and you can get weird combos. There's like, there's actually so much I'm probably forgetting, but it's really deep and interesting. It is. It is. It's just so refreshing. I mean, this isn't the only like deck building game. You know, and coming into it late, it like reminded me a little bit of Slay the Spire. And I really enjoyed Slay the Spire. And it was so cool to like be playing this like JRPG where the battle system was, you know, similarly like this kind of like deck building system. And, you know, it's, it's so rare that you come across a JRPG that has like this innovative or different battle system. And I just, I, I, I loved it. Yeah. And one thing that I just really like about it is that it gets tougher and more complex as you go. So at first you have a lot of time to prepare your moves and you're making small hands, but by the end of the game, you have less time to react, but you can make very large hands. Mm-hmm. Like it actually becomes more tactically interesting as you progress through the game instead of kind of less like it's not okay. Now I have the best attack. I'm good. Totally. Yeah. So I guess one last thing is for some reason you don't level up automatically. You have to go to certain save points, which teleport you to this giant like cathedral. And that's where you get to level up. Yeah. That's a really interesting choice. Yeah, I don't know. It's it. I I wonder what the motivation for that is because it's not immediately obvious to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I I found like JRPGs of that time of that era. They seem to have weird, overcomplicated, or like just kind of like pain in the ass, random minor systems like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be it. Yeah. I don't know for no, no apparently good reason. I think it's funny is the element pairs are fire and water. Sure. Light and dark. Sure. Wind and time. That one doesn't make as much sense to me. (laughs) No, you know, they had to fill it out somehow. (laughs) (laughs) They, they had a thousand of them. So, you know, yeah, that's true. When you got a, when you got a thousand cards, you gotta you know gotta come up with some some ideas for them. Okay. Well, I have got a cat here who would like to podcast. I don't know <laughs> if you can hear him. He's. I uh, can't, but yeah, the people want to hear the cat. Yeah, I might have to bo- boost that up in post, but. <laughs> <laughs>
Listen, well, let's let's move on to this crazy story. God, that's another thing I love about Molestoff. They're batshit insane stories. So, anyway. So, yeah, the game begins with Akalas waking up in a hospital run by Larikush, which is the local doctor of a village named Sevelrai. And all Akalas can remember is that he's got a... Uh, burning desire to seek revenge against the Empire, who murdered his family and burned down his home. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, he's bonded to a guardian spirit, which is a mystical being from another world who lends him strength and wisdom and recommendations and whatnot. And so, yeah, you kind of like get out, you know, you get up, you talk to the doctor and just kind of wander around the village, talking to people, checking things out. And then you come across this uh, very kind of like odd, but intelligent creature named. And from there, Kallus decides to investigate the area where he was found unconscious, which was the Moongile Forest. So he heads over there, and basically he encounters Zelha, which is going to be another party member, and rescues her from a uh, saber dragon. And I, I, I don't know about you, but like getting thrown into this battle with a unfamiliar like battle system was pretty kind of kind of tough, kind of brutal. Yeah, because it takes a long time to even grasp all of the finer points of the thing. Totally, totally. I mean, for a while before I even got got there, I just wandered around and I and fought against like just some random wolves so I could figure out what the hell was going on with the battle system. But yeah, so Zelha convinces Kaas to bring her along to the ruins, which is uh, where she was originally intending to visit. Within the ruins, after a little dungeon, the two of them find a spring, and Shella's medallion inadvertently releases this giant serpent named Lord of the Spring, which you then get another boss fight against with some really uh, rad music. After beating it, a shining golden magnus appears, and then... Right away, an airship comes from nowhere, and a man named Giacomo comes out of it. Callus does not like. Callus recognizes Giacomo as the guy who murdered his family. And he goes to fight him, but Giacomo is too strong, too fast. Beats him up, kidnaps Shella, and takes the Golden Magnus. So when Callus wakes up, he quickly sets out to track down that airship. Yeah. And so he hurries to Prakad, which is the capital of Sadal Sud, and then sneaks into the Lord's mansion. And, you know, once, you know, he makes his way through the mansion, he rescues Zella before rushing onto the airship and trying to find Giacomo again, which, you know, is still kind of like a futile, <laughs> futile effort. But they have pretty much you know like a pretty tough battle and uh, you know before it's actually you know resolved in one of them when callus and zelha are blown off the airship by uh, giacomo's magic so now the two are on the run from imperial soldiers and so they escape by getting a ride to uh, another place called uh Didum at very very much like the last moment possible. And so they get to Didum, which is a cloud-covered island where they meet Jabari, a fisherman, and Lude, uh, who's uh, the ambassador to Didum from the Empire. <laughs> yeah, those are your just two more party members. Uh, the main thing is that, I mean, we didn't really talk about the story thing where everyone has wings. We didn't, did we? Yubari kind of has like fish wings, but Liu doesn't have any because the Empire doesn't have wings for some reason. Yeah. They got rid of their wings because they're dumb. <laughs> it's like, it's mostly just like an aesthetic thing to the point where I, I guess in battles everyone flies, but there's a lot of points in this game where there's a treasure chest over a gap or something you need to solve a puzzle to get fast. I'm like, literally all of you guys can fly. 
Every one of you. Yeah, yeah. The the wings in a lot of cases are just like, hey, I think this will be badass. <laughs> yes, but in the prequel, they actually do kind of fix that and let you sort of fly around or like jump over gaps with them at least. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'd like to do the prequel at some time. We should we should yeah, do that is, in the future. Yeah, it is a it is another good ass game with a slightly different battle system that is still similar. Interesting. Right, so after lowering the water level of Diadem's lesser celestial river, I leave a Gabari for the capital Sheliac, Sheliac's disease. You know, this is the capital I can't eat bread. Uh, where they're welcomed <laughs> by King Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they figure out that the Empire is after the End Magnus. Magnus cards have the power of the evil god Malpercio. So, Shella, or, yeah, well, Callus and Shella and Gabari and Lude find one of the five End Magnus in Diadem, but it gets stolen from them. You also learn about an ancient race of wizards who originally defeated and sealed Malpercio away thousands of years ago. So, the next destination is Anue Nue. It's just a neutral neutral nation devoted to magic and knowledge and is kind of pretty entropical, I would say, like aesthetically. And so they're looking for the next end, Magnus. But uh, while there, confront the emperor of Alfard, Geldeblame, <laughs> and meets Savina, an ex-mercenary of the empire, who is kind of your next party member. Yeah, I I, I do like the name Geldeblame. Yeah, Geldeblame is a good name. Yeah, so they they beg Queen Corellia for aid, but she refuses on the grounds of political neutrality. However, uh, Savina agrees to aid the party in obtaining an Ed Mag- Magnus. Meanwhile, the party also encounters one of uh, Giacomo's henchmen, Fullen, and uh, they barely escape from him with their lives. They then try to travel to Mira, which is Callus's home nation, through uh, the Trail of Souls, which is a uh, border through dimensions. And uh, on the way, they encounter good old Giacomo again in his uh, flying Goldoba, and they're uh, shot down. <laughs> Seems like, you know, Giacomo's there at every corner to, uh, to speed deck. And so basically falling through the trail of souls lands them in the portal to an outer dimension, which is an area where no one has ever been known to return from. Yep. So of course you immediately return from it with the help yeah, of, of an otherworldly being named Mizuti. Gosh, Mizuti is great. I love Mizuti so much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She is very good. And, well, in, when you make it to Mira, uh, the party enters Detorn, the mystical garden, which is where the Tower of Juraga is. So once you get through all of that, encounter the shadow of an End Magnus, which is like a swarm of leftover bits for the power of the real End Magnus. You defeat and collect that, and the party goes to the town of Parnass to try and find some more clues to the location of the real End Magnus. But then they get arrested for the kidnapping of Lady Melodia, a local noble. Yeah, so basically they are in this town of candy. <laughs> and so they eat their way out. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good one. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, they flee to the dark forest called Necton. Here they encounter Giacomo once again. Who's, hello, who's holding Melodia as a hostage. Before they're able to battle, the forest spirits respond to the hostility between them, and a dimensional rip appears, which allows a creature of darkness to attack the party. Giacomo and his comrades flee, leaving Callus and his friends to fend off the monster, which is a real pain <laughs> of the battle. And luckily, Melodia intervenes and calms the creature down, and convinces it to go back to sleep. And then afterwards, Callus is stunned to find that the only Ed Magnus that they had is gone, and it was somehow stolen or dropped, which cracks me up. It's like, you think you'd you know, be holding you know, on something that important very carefully. Yeah, and we do, we, we find out why. Like, it's kind of obvious that Melodia is up to no good at this point, because she gets introduced 
earlier with a scene that has no other purpose except that she's just kind of there, mm-hmm. uh, which is some real like hunt for red October mysterious uh, close up on the guy who ends up being important later mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and the party retraces their whole route to try and find the card, but they don't find it. It would be very funny if they just found it. Like, oh, yeah, I just dropped it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Melodia invites the party to her home in Balanquar, and they meet her grandfather, Duke Calibran. When everyone, yeah. So explaining the situation to Calibran, it's revealed that the end Magnus of Mira is underneath his manor inside Cocolith, the Labyrinth of Mirrors. And then Giacomo just interrupts and runs downstairs to try and get it for you, which is pretty funny. Uh, the dungeon is very cool, though. Is lots of weird perspective tricks with the mirrors. It is. It is. Yeah. When you get to the end of it, you have to fight uh, the Guardian Phantasm, which is just another fun boss fight. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time you have Mizuti, too, so you can enjoy her cool voice modulation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is really cool. So after you defeat the uh, Phantasm, the end Magnus starts to react with the shadow that they picked up earlier. Mizuti draws off the excess energy and seals the end Magnus with its shadow. Then our old friend uh, Giacomo turns up and uh, snatches the end Magnus and takes off. So yeah, Blancor, the group also hears an old woman's tale of why the ocean disappeared and the islands rose into the sky so many years ago. Basically, when uh, Malpercio was defeated by the wizards, his evil had already ravaged the earth and the ocean was lost. So what's these things called the tank clouds formed above the earth to uh, seal away Malpercio. Malpercio's taint from the islands in the sky. <laughs> uh, the word taint is funny now. I'm, <laughs> I'm 12. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> taint clouds. Man, I, I can't say I'm any better. I, I uh, have been streaming a, a lot of Beavis and Butthead lately. So. <laughs> oh, that's the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, finally, uh, the group of all six of you heads to Alfard. The, well, the last of the regular islands where they have to stop Gildeblaine once and for all. And this is the Empire's kind of home island. Uh, when you wit- after witnessing the state of the Empire firsthand, they confront Gildeblaine in the lava caves with the last end Magnus. God, there's a whole bit, like, this is where the uh, change in disc happens, and there's a big fight with Giacomo and his two uh, pals that may a lot of people quit the game because you can't go back and level up in it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't have that problem, but it was definitely a weird thing. And actually, also, the prequel has another thing right after the disc change where you're just stuck with a hard boss fight. So uh, use a second slot, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Gilda Blame summons the power of the 5N Magnus to transform into a godlike being, but He's actually a weird, misshapen, deformed, gross thing. He's still a, a powerful boss fight, though. And then when you beat him, you suddenly learn that Melodia, who's been relatively unimportant up until this point, she's been behind the Empire's plot the whole time. And But the actual kind of more surprising part is that Callus has actually been working with her from the start. And that's where they really pay off on the whole you are not Callus thing, because the traitor in the party is, in fact, the main character. And he now uses the power of the end Magnus to transform. He gets his single black wing and mechanical wing turned into two angelic white wings and picks you out. So uh, now that he's uh, complete, quote unquote, Callus uh, rejects the guardian spirit as he doesn't need it anymore and helps capture his, and he helps capture his former allies Selha awakens in an imperial cell separated from the rest of the fan party. So she rediscovers and bonds with the lingering spirit the Callus rejected earlier. She escapes with the help of three witches and is able to return to Ananue and contact Queen Corelia. Cor- after, as- after rescuing the other members of the party, 
Zelha decides to search for a means to break the hold that Melodia has over Kallus and to save the world. And so the Forgotten Ice Nation of Wazen, which has not had contact with the other lands for other centuries, is basically, they, they basically decide that it's their last possible source of salvation. Yeah, uh, after breaking through the wards placed around with your cool dragon, uh, the party enters and it is revealed that Shella is actually the current ice queen of Wazen. Wasn't. Once inside, the Ocean Mirror, this ancient artifact which is supposed to have the power to purify evil, is claimed by Shella after she passes a test dungeon by the former Ice Queens. So with, with that mirror, the party journeys to the Imperial Fortress to confront Callus. And when, after beating him in battle, Shella attempts to use the mirror on Callus, but she realizes that if she does that, it will kill him instead of just purifying him. But luckily, Callus realizes the value of friendship and decides <laughs> to uh, have another face turn. And he just tears off his uh, new extra wing and turns back to normal. I feel like I need to record a, pow- a power of friendship jingle for the show. <laughs> that would be pretty good. <laughs> The real wings were the friends we made along the way. Because it comes up comes up <laughs> so often. So yeah, Melodia reveals her motives for keeping the party alive and uh, then steals the power of the party's friendship and trust to uh, completely unseal the end Magnus. This in turn revives the evil god physical form. Mizuti then tries to stop Malpercio by calling on the help of her fellow wizards. But even with the combined strength of the Children of the Earth, Malpercio is able to escape with Melodia to Kor Hydre, which is his demon-filled castle that he summons from a different dimension. Which is badass. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so from behind Core Hydra's defensive shields, monsters start to appear and they attack all the five islands. And so Callus retreats to Alfard and offers an apology to the party for deceiving them. Basically, you know, they quickly accept this. They're like, oh, you know, no big deal. You turned evil or turned against us. But whatever. And then Shella then returns to the Guardian Spirit. And then Shella returns the Guardian Spirit to Kallus again. Yeah, putting on his old winglet, mechanical wing, Kallus rejoins the party again and starts making plans to somehow counter Malpercio. Uh, Mizuti's origins are brought up as a possible source of support because she is actually from under the taint clouds. She's one of the children of the earth, the tribe of humans that remained on the ground after everyone else left, descended from the ancient wizards that originally sealed Malpercio away. It's really one of those, uh, why didn't you tell us this, you never asked situations. Yeah, totally. So you decide to go down there to seek out the rest for tribe and see if they can offer any help against the whole evil god thing. So you have to descend to Dur through the tank clouds and arrive in... Mizuti's hometown of Gemma Village, which is one of the most normal place names we've seen so far, <laughs> by way of the Labyrinth of Dur. So the party arrives at Gemma and are introduced to its leader, the Great Camro II. And they learn of a third magical artifact, the Sword of the Heavens, which is uh, kept in the nearby, which is kept in uh, nearby Capella, which is Garden of Death. So, you know, they arrive in the garden but it's discovered that the sword is no longer present. So they have to head over to Algarab village and Callus and everyone learn that Crumley, <laughs> that sounds like Simpsons uh, character. Yeah, name. I, I, yeah. Crumley is a really good name. The mayor of the village has stolen the sword and is heading to Zosma tower where he intends to break the seal on Durr summon Malpercio and offer him the sword in return for a new home above the tank clouds. So Callus and the party rush to the tops of Zosma, but they're too late to stop Crumley from breaking the seal. When Malpercio shows up, he and Melodia attack Crumley, 
and fly off to Algarab to kill the villagers and destroy the ancestors of the wizards who originally destroyed him. Now that the party follows them all the way back to Algarab and manages to defeat him in a boss fight. And Algarab is really a name that looks like it should be something backwards. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Malpertio and Melodia retreat back to Kor Hydra, but first they destroy the Sword of the Heavens. So everyone is alive, but lacking options now. And Kalos decides to return to Severide to visit Larakush, the doctor who saved you right back at the beginning of the game. And that's where he finally learns of his past. Uh, he was created in an experiment conducted by Larakush and Kallus's grandfather, as he called him, Georg, uh, in the Empire. So he was born from a Magnus, as was his brother, Fee. Then the Emperor ordered Georg to kill Kallus. Georg refused to do that, staged his own death, and fled to Mira with Kallus and Fee and Larakush. So it was two years after that, uh, Giacomo came to Mira and murdered Georg and Fee. Callus is then directed to the Celestial Alps, where Larakush says Georg left him something. So they climb to the top of the Celestial Alps, and uh, Callus and company uh, face off against uh, Giacomo and his lackeys, Aim and Folon. So you have pretty much a pretty like long and uh, difficult battle. And yeah, you have to do it twice for no reason. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate that in game, in JRPGs and games in general, where it's like, oh, you thought you beat the enemy? Oh, well, now they got all their life back. And time to do yeah, it again. It's very strict, because if you die, you can just start from the second fight. You just do it twice for no good reason. It's a long fight, too. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, of course, Kallus comes out victor, but the battle's not without casualties. Giacomo is killed, and with his dying breath, he commands Aim and Folon to drop their grudge with Kallus and help him save the world. And I'm not really sure why he has a change of heart, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it is about saving the world now, so I guess that works. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And the two kind of, like, meet him halfway they say that they'll leave in peace vowing not to fight callus again but they're you know not gonna help him save the world callus also learns that the reason he survived his wounds after Jacobo's attack is that fee who is created from a pure and divine magnus magnus of life was absorbed into him as he died and now callus has well, he realizes he has within him the Magnus of life, which is the opposite of Malpertio's and Magnus, I guess. Now you have a section where you travel around the islands once more with some loose ends and the side quests for all your party members that I don't really remember any of them all that well. But it's just like the Chrono Trigger last bit of side quest stuff. Mm-hmm. It eventually ends up you going to gather all of the world's leaders together again. you got Rodolfo. Laticon, Corellia, and Calibran all come together to decide. Now we have to join forces to attack Kor Hydra and end the war for good. But Kor Hydra is protected by a near unbreakable force field. So they all kind of you know, use their the residual power in each island from the end Magnus to shoot a big beam and destroy the force field. Yeah, so after uh, battling through Kor Hydra's uh, many traps and defeating five evil gods, the group finally reaches the main chamber of Kor Hydra, and they face off against Samal Persio. They defeat him, but just before he was about to be destroyed, Melodia fused herself with Malpersio, which not only restores him to full power, but gives him a whole new form, which is even stronger than before. So, you know, Monsieur Classic, you know, but you thought that the weird God being that you're fighting at the end of the game is dead. Well, now he's got some kind of secret power. Probably didn't expect it to work with only one kill anyway, because you've played JRPGs before. You know how this works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Once they beat him, they go on top of uh, Kor Hydra 
and uh, Callus and his crew face off against Malpercio one last time. And after another long, grueling fight, they're able to immobilize him. While Mizuti holds Malpercio off of their magic, Callus enters Malpercio in an attempt to save Melodia. Yeah, long story short, uh, he does, and Melodia decides to be good again. And she tells the guardian spirit, you, to use your power to recreate the three artifacts, the Sword of the Heavens, the Ocean Mirror, and the Earth Sphere. And then those are made whole with the power of the End Magnus, the Magnus of Life, and your own power together, and Malpercio is destroyed once and for all. Uh, the islands then descend to the Earth, righting the wrong that was made when Malpercio originally was destroyed. But there's one thing still missing, the ocean. So, kind of everyone ha- chills out and has a party, and Callus mm-hmm. and Shella go off into a corner and confess their love for each other, and also that there's like a whole thing where Shella, Shella knew Callus was a traitor before he was, because she saw you erasing your memories. There's, there's a whole lot of, of uh, plot twisting. There's a whole lot of reveals here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is uh, Shella has the ocean inside of her. <laughs> and the Ace Queens for generations protect the ocean. Uh, they just they drink the whole ocean up and keep it inside them until it was <laughs> yeah. right for it to be released again. Uh, and then immediately Geldeblame comes back and he's like a big uh, rock head in the earth just for one last boss fight with just Callus and Shella. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he's 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 not really that tough, you know, after Yeah, it is been... kind of a plot thing more than an actual boss fight, because that would just be cruel. Yeah, totally. Totally. So yeah, he gets defeated by uh Kallus and Shella. And so basically they decide to release the ocean from Shella, even though that could end her life. And so they share a tearful prayer between, you know, Shella, Callus, and the guardian spirit. And Shella collapses and disappears, leaving Callus alone. Pretty much almost immediately after, a salty rain begins to fall from the sky. And it doesn't stop until the space between the islands is filled with the ocean, which has finally been returned to the world. So then in the final scene of the game, Setter and Paolo 3 are running along the shore when they find a conch shell that intrigues them. They bring it to Callus and uh, tell him that they, that they can hear Shell's voice in it. Callus takes the shell and looks at it, and uh, then the shell gives off a burst of water, which takes the form of Shella, and... Basically, the game ends with the two tearfully embracing, and they say their goodbyes as Callus severs the bond between himself and the Guardian Spirit, which allows it to return to his homeworld. And that's pretty much the end. Yep, that's how it goes. It ends with it really just ends with a big casting call. Everyone comes out and says goodbye, and then you sort of get sucked back out. Yep, pretty much. So what are what are your like final thoughts or impressions? Yeah, this game is good as heck and I'd like I have played I have picked it up and played like a little bit, but I haven't been all the way through it in a long time. I wouldn't mind going back to it. Like it is still I think it really holds up. It does. It does. I mean, coming to it <laughs> in 2020 as i said earlier it definitely has the gamecube ps2 jrpg elements of jank and frustration and man i really wish dolphin had a fast forward feature (laughs) for some oh yeah for sure stuff but god there's just so much that's really really cool about this i love the battle system the deck building system is just so cool and, you know, it's just such a departure from other JRPGs, and it's really fun. And it takes a little while for you to kind of figure out how to use it. But once you do, like, it just feels really, really intuitive and kicks a lot of ass. You know, it's like, and 
I love the crazy story. It's just the kind of epic nonsense uh, that Monolith serves up that is totally my jam. And yeah, gameplay is good. I would say that if you have a little patience for some of the, you know, relics of the era, as far as like a lack of quality of life features that we've come to get used to, then I would definitely recommend going back and playing it in any way you can. Yeah, for sure. Because it doesn't have the, the Shibuyas and the social links, but it's still a good game. <laughs> yeah, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've kind of, I've kind of had my fill. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It doesn't have. It doesn't have a school setting. It does not. I don't think there. Well, there's I, there's probably a school in there. I think there is, but there's there's no. It's not a major part of the setting. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't you know shoehorn characters into like some kind of like school setting. And honestly, is one of the things that just bummed me out a little bit while I was playing it was that I do kind of miss this level of experimentation in JRPGs. I feel like we've kind of things have gotten so kind of codified in contemporary ones that you know we we don't get too many like kind of like games that experiment in this many ways nowadays yeah i think i think that's just true of like across genres Mm. uh, all of the big the big name games the big budget yeah yeah exactly exactly but you know i mean it seems like we're getting you know more and more classic JRPG developers are going indie or forming like small studios and stuff. So, you know, hopefully we'll, even if they're smaller scale, like get some more like kind of like innovative contemporary JRPGs. Yeah. I think like the deck building thing, I could, I could stand to see some more of stuff in that nature. I don't need, another bot and Kaito's game. The prequel already kind of stretches credulity with expanding on this world, but systemic, the system stuff, I really think you could still uh, do things with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've, yeah, we'll definitely do the other, the other game. Yeah. Sometime in the near future. Cause I am intrigued buy it so yeah before we uh, wrap up here is there anything that you would like to plug nothing really you can check me out on twitter at pewter is cuter i am just posting i'm just shit posting mostly lately which is pretty good <laughs> nothing wrong with that yeah you know and you know if this is your first episode or whatever we've done another a number of episodes with robert so i would say go back in the archives because there's some good ones what have we done we've done skies of arcadia tales of the abyss so yeah go back and take a listen to that as for uh combo chain stuff if you enjoy the show please go rate and review us on itunes we've got like a number of like ratings which is great we are currently at five stars which is unusual but we've only got one actual review. So <laughs> if you're feeling feeling uh, generous and have a few minutes to kill, please go on there and you know write a review because it really helps with the visibility and the in the rankings. And uh, let's see, we've got a Twitter combo chain FM. We also have a Facebook page, and uh, we have a Patreon, which is. Uh, Mirror Image Studios, if you take a look at that. Yeah, we are going to be making some changes to the Patreon pretty soon, including next month we're going to start doing a, an exclusive episode every month for uh, $5 Patreon subscribers. And just any amount helps us cover the hosting and production software costs and everything. So uh, yeah, anything you can throw down is much appreciated. And also I co-host 
uh, Megaten Marathon, which is a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. We only release a few episodes a year because the uh, scheduling for the three hosts is basically our schedules are almost diametrically opposed to one another. So... But we are doing Nocturne right now, and so if you want to want to hear about Nocturne before it come before the HD remake comes out, go over there and check it out. And I think that's pretty much it for all of the plugs and business on my end. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add, Robert? No, I'm good. I mean, I can I can make some sort of goof about featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series if you like. <laughs> I yeah. Did you see that Sega released that as like like a high res scan, so people Good. could easily I'm use glad. that in memes? Although I admit, like my brain started thinking like you were going to say as an NFT, and I was just going to start screaming <laughs> and blood flowing out of every orifice. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Cut and print. Oh my god! I do not even want to get into NFTs. Though you know anybody can make an NFT, so. You know, maybe if one of us wants to help destroy the earth and potentially make a lot of money doing it, we could just make an F- NFT of that scan. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think either of us are bastards like that. So, no, no, no. I mean, I am, but not in that way. Yeah, yeah. Not in a, hey, let's, uh, let's uh, hurry up the uh, destruction of the planet. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Robert. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And let's find a time to, let me take a look at the schedule and we'll find a time to do the other Botan Kaitos game. Yeah, that one's, now I'm remembering, I'm like, yeah, that one's cool. I like the story in that one more, I think. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at that. I'm going to fire that, fire that up on the old uh, dolphin machine in the next day or two and Futs around with it. Cool. Well, thank you again, Robert, and thank you all for listening. And we will be back in a couple weeks with another episode of Combo Chain. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.